listeners and a warm welcome to the Highland Bullpen and congratulations to the Atlanta Braves, the world champions, the kings of baseball for 2021. Now here in the Highland Bullpen, we always believe in giving credit where it's due, even if it is for Alan. So Alan, you deserve the plaudits because we all went for the Astros, you back to Braves and you are right. Well done, Alan, and you must have been delighted to see Atlanta do it after you are defying the rest of the bullpen. I've spent many a Saturday evening defying the bullpen, so I thought, why not defy the bullpen when it's uh, an opportunity to take a punt and who's going to win the World Series? Um, I don't know there's an awful lot of science around my my pick. Uh, I thought there was a lot of chatter about the Astros, but the Braves... There was something about the Braves. Um, interestingly, they were the team who, the least winningest team, I think, is the grammatically incorrect uh, phrase, but fact, fact of all teams who go into the playoffs. Uh, so they came through and they proved the old adage about um, you only have to beat the teams in front of you. Uh, you only have to get the backing of one member of the bullpen and you can go on and get the World Series rings, uh, or what uh, they do get the rings, I think, at the World Series as well, don't they? So, no, uh, delighted to see that. Um, so a wee bit sorry for our, our pal Rob over his Astros podcast, uh, but the Astros are a strong team. They're not going to disappear anywhere quickly. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if the Braves can replicate that sort of... Uh, result later. The, the other thing I should maybe mention as well is the good old MLB Europe lads. They sent us their welcome pack at the start of the year and they did ask us for a World Series prediction. Um, I copped out a wee bit and my World Series prediction was that the Tigers would not win the World Series. Uh, so I was correct <laughs> twice. <laughs> surprisingly correct twice. Uh, but next year um, I will put more effort into my end of March prediction for what the world, who the World Series will be between and what the score will be. Somebody has to be right, so let's make it three out of three for me. That sounds good, Alan. And Dave Jr., did you enjoy the World Series? Obviously, it's always a baseball showpiece, but some, some are better than others. How do you think the 2021 series compared with those of the past? Uh I really enjoyed it, Richard. And this this felt like uh, I've said it a lot. It felt like my first real season as a true baseball fan. Um, I've got to admit, when it came to the final, it wasn't like my my love of football when I'm watching a neutral final. I, I, I kind of I'm not sure if it's because the whole the whole thing was played out over six different days over I don't know maybe eight nine actual days when you look at things taking a break into account. And I found myself not being able to get fully engaged with it. I was able to watch, you know, we're talking late at night here in the UK. I think the earliest any game started is one in the morning. It may have been better to have avoided the scores and caught up with the, the game recaps. I know Dave watches um, and, and keep up to date that way. But I did try to watch the opening parts of each game. And, and again, what the Americans do better than anyone else, the pomp around these things, the, the entrances, the opening, the, the drama, they do it so, so well across all of their sports. Um, you know, each time 
I'm trying to remember some of the, the legendary heroes that they, they brought out, but at each stadium, their set of fans would, would make the situation absolutely unique and it must be it must send chills up the players' spines to come out and, and do their thing in front of those those loving, loyal fans. Um, you know, the Astros knocked the White Sox and the Red Sox out on their, their march to the World Series final. Um, so I, I wasn't too sure that I want the Astros to win so that I can say we were defeated by the champs or was I bitter and twisted and, and wanted them to lose. But I think I just tried to enjoy the spectacle. Uh, Atlanta Braves, to me, felt almost a bit like a, a mysterious, sexy foreign team in that I just hadn't came across them too much during the, you know, with all of our teams being based in the American League, all of our games generally focusing on on teams that weren't the Braves, it was quite hard to associate with them. Um, and something that Alan didn't mention there, forgive me if you did, Al, but the, the Braves did all this and they lost one of baseball's best stars during the season in Ronald Acuna. I can't remember if he was in your fantasy team, Richard, but that's like you know losing your star player and still being one of the underdogs for the whole tournament. I don't know, maybe like an Everton going and winning the FA Cup and losing their star player um, and going all the way. And fair play to them, that hostile atmosphere in Houston um, on an artificial surface when you've got all those external factors we've spoken about before, you know, the roof, the artificial pitch, the experienced team. Um, they went to Houston twice and won. Um, you know, I think the, the very first pitch of the very first game was knocked out of the park by Soler. It really set the tone. Uh, later, when, when Houston were able to take the games back from Atlanta and, and come back to, to Houston itself, I think the feeling was that this is... This was Houston's chance to to then march on and win win the series, but the Braves just stamped it out. They really they work hard as a team. They've got a great infield, um, and they've they've got a fantastic attitude. I think they're quite a um, they must be. You know, they came out top of all thirty teams, but um, they've done themselves real credit. I'm not too sure about the stats when they last won it or their their real recent history. As I said, they just they're not on my radar too much. Um, but yeah, well, well played to them. They've, they've earned that title as champs. Oh, thanks for that, Dave Junior. And yeah, I totally agree with you. They are somewhat of a, a mystery package. And the previous uh, Atlanta's previous World Series win was ninety nine, and the Braves, as a franchise, had won one World Series each in each of their previous two incarnations in Milwaukee and uh, Milwaukee Braves, and was a Boston Braves the previous one before then. Yeah, so no, it was an, an impressive performance. And Yorkshire Dave, I know you're a man that likes the GGs. I know you like your horse racing. And what the Braves reminded me of was a horse that's been really well ridden by its jockey, hangs around near the middle to the back of the pack, staying out of trouble, getting getting making sure it's there. And then in those last four or five furlongs, just stretching out and hitting the lead at exactly the right point. <laughs> that's a good analogy, isn't it? You know, they did time their run perfectly. I think we spoke about this um, in our last program that um, they didn't have a winning um, winning record until well into August. And, uh, you know, as Dave uh, Alan said, that, uh, you know, <laughs> was Alan won it, the, the least winning most, was it? Did they have a, eight, yeah. Was it 88? 
something like that, they, yeah. They won when you look at the, the Giants, um, uh, you know, didn't even make the championship thing, 107. So, um, yeah, it just shows you what he can do. And what Dave said is uh, absolutely right about Cunha. You know, it's outfielder, isn't he? You know, one of the most brilliant players in the game. Uh, but what the Braves did is they went out and they didn't just buy one guy. They bought two or three, didn't they? And uh, Soler, who you quite like, rightly mentioned, Jorge uh, Soler, he was the MVP for the whole series, wasn't he? And um, he's two home runs in different, you know, different games, especially the one in what turned out to be the deciding game when he hit it over Bobby Dynamite's rail tracks, didn't he? You know, the one time that they'd opened the roof at Minute Maid Park, which is a, an extremely rare event because it was, uh, you know, it's normally so hot, isn't it, there? And the reason why they have the roof on, it's not, <laughs> it's not like you would imagine here in the UK to keep the rain and snow and the cold out. It's because it's too hot. And the flipping ballpark is air conditioned, I think. So it was it was that cool that night that they decided to uh, open open the roof, and uh, Solaire hit it out there, and that was what gave them a fantastic lead, wasn't it, for the for the final game, which incredibly they won. Was it seven nil the final? Yeah, yeah, seven. And um, yeah. You feel for the for the Astros and for our mate, you know, let's uh, let's say him again, Rob Fontenot, Fontenot, um, who does the um, the Houston's um, podcast, and he, you know, I think I've sort of retweeted his uh, one of his uh, podcasts to say just very philosophical about the whole thing, and this was before they'd actually. We're out of the, you know, they were 3 1 down, weren't they? And they were just saying how this is the third World Series they've been in in the last five. And he just said, you know, whatever happens, we're happy to be where we are, the Astros, um, you know, because there's 28 other teams who wish they were there. And, you know, they are a great team and uh, they, just, they just got beat by another. Really good team, and who can? What you said there about them is, I don't think another team has done that, has it? They've done three different. The franchise has been in three different cities, and has won it in those three different cities. I think they've won it twice in Atlanta, haven't they? Ninety-five, uh, I think, was the last time they won it in Atlanta, and then of course Milwaukee, and. Um, Boston, you're right, you know, back in the 19, early 1900s. But I don't know who else has done that. The, the Dodgers have obviously done it, Brooklyn and Los Angeles. But I don't know if anyone else has done it in three different cities. So I think, you know, good on the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, they seemed reasonably popular when I was as well. I think, I think it was a bit of history there because Ted Turner, obviously the media mogul, who for many years uh, owned the Atlanta Braves and CNN. I think Atlanta games were covered on a national 
basis via Ted Turner's network when he expanded the Superstation, as it was called then. So there's actually Atlanta Brave fans in quite a lot of different parts of the States as well. Uh, so they've kind of got a wider support than people might might realise. But yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a fantastic series. I mean, I do feel a bit for the Astros as well, and not just because of our friend. When you actually look at it, in terms of hits over the series, there was hardly any difference in hits. Only two or three. Atlanta had only two or three more over the course of the series. The difference was in homers. They were just belting it out of the park time after time. And and, yeah. and that was what made it made the difference in the end. And that one, yeah, over the rail tracks, that was just such a such a belt. You know, he's a big fella, but boy, he didn't half crush that, did he? Yeah, and uh, what you say about the the, the Braves is, uh, it, you know, is um, it's spot on. I think, uh, Rich, because you know, I think I've mentioned uh, when I first started watching baseball in late nineties. It was at Channel Five, and Johnny Johnny Gould was a presenter. You know, and he's still involved in the sport, and he was a Braves fan. And they would be, they would, you know, apart from the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was the last great Yankee team, wasn't it? You know, and let's hope it is the last great Yankee <laughs> team. I'm only joking. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, they because they beat the the Braves twice, I think, in the World Series in the late 90s, 95. But yeah, he was a big uh, Braves fan. He was bigging it up. And um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm really sort of, you know, we all are, it's, it's strange, isn't it, that the four of us um, independently picked our own teams and they're all American League teams. Um, but uh, so I guess when we're watching the game, we're watching usually our teams and we're more, they're usually playing the American League teams. But so our eye might be off the ball in terms of uh, the National League, but yeah, um, good on the Braves. David. Just talking about the, the American League there, I don't know if you guys, sorry to change the subject slightly, um, but I see that Richards Mariners uh, manager was, or sorry, has been nominated for manager of the year for the American League, um, which I think it's, we don't know, I think we've got two nominations in our team, um, but that's got to be quite a, an interesting Point, Richard. I wasn't sure if you'd spotted that news in the last few days. I, I think I just heard whispers about it, Scouts. But yeah, uh, sorry, Dave Junior. I heard whispers about it, but it's a very, yeah, it's a very deserved accolade. I think you know, it's. I know it's uh, American sport tends to be pretty not really celebrating what are losers ultimately, the people who didn't get through. But I think the Mariners, from what the expectations were, really surpassed them this season and got that kind of a young franchise as well. And some of those guys can go on to have big careers in the game, I think. So, yeah, I think it's it's well-deserved to be in contention, at the very least, Dave Junior. Baseball seems to be really quite good. Uh, I'm not sure, uh, you know, maybe Dave and Alan know a bit more from a historic point of view, their, their kind of long-standing support of the game. But um, in Scotland, whenever we think about awards and recognition, uh, the old ugly sisters, you know, Rangers and Celtic, do tend to, and we had a joke about this before the before the podcast tonight. Dave made some points about players joining uh, kind of regional clubs um, uh, out with the old firm, but in Scotland, 
I think because we've always got the two teams that are fighting out for everything, we're quite bad at always focusing on on those players, those managers. But in baseball, the love seems to be really spread throughout. So there always seems to be a good recognition about the players and the coaching staff. Mm. And when I'm looking through all the awards, and sorry, maybe more so the nominations for this year, you don't have a whole lot of teams in there that have won the league or you know made it to their pennant race or made it to the World Series. You've got a real smattering of players and coaches for clubs that didn't even qualify for the postseason. So it tells me, um, I'm not sure your thoughts, Alan, but it, it tells me that there's an appreciation for the finer things in baseball, that it's not just all about right, who was, you know, the Braves have won, so we've got to nominate their manager, we've got to nominate their their shortstop. Let's you know, let's talk about the Astros. There seems to be a recognition of all the teams in the league when it comes to these year-end awards. Yeah, I think that's right. I had a look at the the nominations earlier. So the four big awards, uh, MVP, ROI, the, Um, I was surprised going through the list that you didn't really come across uh, players um, from the winning teams or the World Series teams. Uh, there's a good spread. And there's a, a few teams, and then the Blue Jays were fairly prominent in awards, but the Blue Jays had a good season up until it uh, actually actually counted. Um, the Rays had a couple of players for the Jackie Robinson Rookie of the Year Award, uh, Arozarena and uh, Wander Franco, with one of my favourite names uh, in, in baseball. Uh, Garcia of the Astros, who did very well, was was is in there as one of the nominations. Um, but yeah, you would tend you could quite easily see five nominations for Player of the Year in Scottish football, uh, and they will be four from whichever one of the Glasgow teams has won the league and one player from the team that hasn't won the league. That's not uh, particularly unusual. I, I was, yeah, I was impressed when I saw the Mariners manager in there. It made me think about AJ Hinch has done quite a lot at the Tigers, uh, but obviously not enough to be one of three of 15 nominated for that role. Because I think I'm right in thinking of our four teams there's the Mariners manager, but Lance Lynn was the only other nomination we got from any of our teams in the White Sox. Uh, so hopefully it'll be good. It'll be cool if one of those two guys picks up picks up the award. Uh, just very quickly, I'll finish my bet on the World Series as well, if, if I can, just with a couple of stats. I see Jock Peter Pedersen uh, is one of only a handful of players now uh, yes, he should be in our Scottish fantasy baseball team for next year, should old jock. Um, but he's one of a handful of players who's won back-to-back championships with different teams now, uh, the Dodgers uh, and the, the Braves. Mm. Uh, oddly, he actually played for the Cubs in between all that as well, because I think he left the Dodgers last season to go to the Cubs. And I was reading as well, I think he's decided not to exercise his option for the Braves next year, but I guess that's because he's got the potential for a lot of cash coming his way with with that type of record. Uh, Richard made a few comments about the stats from the World Series, and I know 
Dave Senior had mentioned before about stolen bases being more prevalent. Um, the good old Braves only stole one base in those six games against the Astros, five. But um, yeah, hits were similar. But when you start talking about getting on base and, and slugging and what have you, uh, the, the Braves did really outbat the Astros quite successfully there. And, and when you look at the, the regular top performers for the Braves team, they all seem to be hitting fairly well uh, dur- during the series. So their, their numbers came out well. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned Jock Peterson there, Alan, because I was reading a good interview with the, the I think it was the GM of the, the Braves and basically saying Dave Jr. made the point earlier on that they lost their superstar. You know, I mean, that Clarona Cunha, his injury, they could just have said, well, listen, we'll fold, we'll fold for a season, we'll just see it through, we won't try and be ambitious, but they actually made a number of acquisitions, just the trade deadline that proved absolutely crucial. To, to winning the World Series, and, and Jock Peterson was one that was highlighted not just for his play, but for his confidence, his belief. I think they felt that kind of character was really needed in there as well. I, I get the feeling he's he's not shy, and he's probably not shy about his own abilities either, but I think the feeling was that he really helped them get a bit of belief, and as you say, obviously having won it previously, with the Dodgers as well. He when he said, Listen, you guys are good, you guys can be a championship team, he knew what he was speaking about as well. So I think that seems a key. You know, we, we spoke previously about the kind of the, the midway mark of the season and teams, franchises deciding to stick or twist. The Braves decided to twist and it paid off in the in the biggest fashion possible. So I think they as a franchise deserve a lot of credit for their courage as well to to, to go for it. Uh, and obviously it paid off handsomely in the end although the World Series was was greatly enjoyed I certainly enjoyed it immensely I'm a wee bit sad about Game 5 because Game 5 is likely to be the last time we see a pitcher hitting for quite a while because it looks like the Universal DH it looks like it's going to be coming in next season as well so if that was to be the final kind of example of a you know the pitcher or uh, batting the pitcher hitting it was great that Zach Greinke who's probably the best hitting pitcher for many a year uh, got a, you know, he hit a single and I think he became the first pitcher to pinch hit in a World Series game since Jack Bentley of the New York Giants 98 years ago so a, little, a nice bit of history there Dave Jr, uh, what do you make of, of that, the, the potential end to pitchers trying to hit Well I think that um you know, our number one international fan, Mr. Otani, a fan of the podcast, might take umbrage with your point about uh, Grinke being the best hitter out there as a pitcher. Ah, true, true. I, I kind of, to use a cricket analogy, I think of I think of Otani as a batsman that bowls a bit <laughs> rather than as a, you know, a bowler that bats. But there's no <laughs> doubt, there's no doubt he's pretty damn good at both. So, yeah, that's probably... That's probably a fair point. And, and I think the, the proposed Universal DH will allow teams, will still have the option if they're feeling masochistic uh, of sending their pitcher out to bat and not taking up the option of using their DH. But with the exception of Otani, I can't imagine there'll be many teams taking up that option. Yeah, I, I'm still a little bit... Um, I'm split. Again, it, it may just be because I've been a, a baseball fan for a little over a year or two now. 
I'm still undecided about the whole pitchers hitting thing. To me, there's still a novelty attached when I see you know, one of these guys that I'm rooting for on the mound game after game and you see him suddenly come out what, you know, once or twice a season and, and get a, a shot at the plate. And it's, you know, there's a little bit of, it's the old ironic cheer from the crowd sometimes if your pitcher does get a hit. Um, and then I do think on the other side, well, if it's a professional game, if you're trying to get your nine best guys out there, do you want to risk injury to your to your pitcher? Uh, who might just, you know, he could slip when running, he could hurt himself when, when batting, he could be sliding into, you know, second base later on and gets take some studs. You do wonder if the pitcher's got to choose what would they rather do. Um, but there's, there is something, a, a bit of a novelty, a bit of fun seeing the pitcher stepping up to the plate and, um, it's actually, you, you gifted me a book um, about a year ago, Richard, just um, reading up on baseball and some stats and data. And I took it, I was away on a, a break over the weekend there and I took the book with me uh, and just working my way through it. And you know, there was a real good bit of science behind where the pitcher bats quite often in the lineup and exactly what they do and, and what they don't do. So it's not just a case of hit and hope. Um, quite often they were saying about the pitcher coming in at eighth to actually bat and again there's good reason for that it's all to do with leading up to potentially the next inning or you know, getting your um, getting your leadoff guy up and I always assumed that the pitcher might come in and at ninth uh, being the worst in the lineup. but um, I, again baseball being baseball there is absolute fascination around everything that's developed over the years to get to whatever the current set of rules may be at any given time Yorkshire Dave yeah, there's a couple of things there, Dave. Uh, brilliant. Uh, I like uh, what you say about um, reading um, about baseball. And this is something that goes back a long time when it comes to cricket. What what do you do in the off-season during the winter? You know, sort of, and this would be a long time before you could watch all the, the games on Sky and the tours uh, to the MCC tours of um, Australia and the Southern Hemisphere teams. And the thing is, you would you would read all the books, uh, you know, the, the Wisdom Almanac and uh, whatever great publications have come out. And I think we talked about this before, that cricket is a great source of literature in the same way Baseball is as well, famously, and that's what I kind of intend to do is sort of revisit some of my books that I have. But the the other thing about the DH is, uh, yeah, I think it looks as though it's going to go that way ultimately, isn't it? And uh, I tend to be sort of a bit of a traditionalist of it. And uh, although we are all American League team fans, you know, there's something that quite exotic, as Dave says, about you know the the uh, the pitcher hitting in the the NL leagues. And but the, the one thing I would say is, as someone who scored a game, it's difficult enough to score an American League game. But if you want to try and print off a proper scorecard, you you look at a box score from an NL game and compare it with a box score from an AL game. And you'll just see there's a lot more 
names on it because you know the, the pictures are coming in and out, and of course they're in the batting lineup. Um, and you've got to, as a scorer, you've got to do that. So I think you probably uh, it, <laughs> it's probably going to help the the uh, national league scorers if nothing else. One thing as well about pictures was the World Series continued a trend, the trend in baseball more widely, but of pictures lasting fewer and fewer innings than they once did there. I think it was only, uh, I think it was only three who went six innings in the decisive game. I think no other pitcher went more than five innings in the in, all, in the World Series. And I think there's a this season has been a, a continued decline in the number yeah. of innings that starting pitchers are throwing. And I wondered if we had any idea why that why that might be. Are they throwing more fastballs so it's taking more out of them? It could it could be. I've heard that, that, that said before. One of the things that, you know, when we were talking about our predictions, I think I went 4-3 for the, the Astros. Didn't know a lot about the praise, but I knew they had some good starting pitchers. And, you know... That's the old adage, good good pitching will always be good hitting. Uh, you know, and I wonder if that might be the case. And, you know, but in the first game, their ace, Charlie Morton, he, you know, he started off pitching brilliantly and he had to leave the game. He left the game, was it? I don't know. I don't know quite. And he, he didn't quite pitch three innings, did he? He, he had what? Um, it's called a comebacker, didn't they? Um, the batter hit the ball straight at him and it hit his leg and he was obviously hurt. This is in the first game. Um, he hadn't given up a, a run and he, he actually got two more outs and he struck a guy out, but he had to go off. And it turned out he had a broken leg, basically, a fractured femur, which is, is it femur? I don't know. Yeah, I think it was, and he's kept going for a while regardless. Yeah, he, basically, the guy came on, was it Minter came on and pitched uh, three or four innings. He pitched brilliantly. And uh, he, he basically said that uh, Charlie had struck a guy out, stood on a broken leg, which is pretty cool. But it just it, it obviously meant that he could not pitch for the rest of the series. And he would have at least pitched one other game. Um, so for them to still go ahead and win um, win the series with their ace out is, is amazing. But Max Fried is a, is a great pitcher. And, um, they, you know, that wasn't. it's not quite the three-headed monster that they, they talk about that when you've got three real aces, a three-headed monster like uh, the, the the Brewers, but yeah, it makes a big difference. I think their their um, their bullpen was amazing. I was trying to work out was it hitting or was it starting pitching or was it the bullpen? And um, guy Matsek and Smith, who was the closer for the Braves, I think every game that they pitched in together, they won. I think four. I think they pitched four times together. And they won those four games. And, uh, yeah, we all know the value of a good bullpen, don't we? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, far be it from us to, to do anything to knock the bullpen, but there's a, a, there's a, a, 
a view that's held that maybe the, the old-fashioned pitching duel is in danger of dying a death because pitchers are coming out earlier, they're not going deep into the game against each other, the starting pitchers there. And, uh, yeah, it's baseball's changing, isn't it? I guess it always has. It continues to evolve and just seems a trend at the moment is for the, you know, the bullpen to take on a bigger share of the load. And it seems to be working. Yeah, I wonder if they'll do something about it. You know, the game has changed over 100 and odd years. And, you know, we're, although we say we're novices, we do know quite a bit about it, don't we? And there have been changes to the rules, and they tend to do this when um, when the batters or the pitchers get an upper hand. They do something to change it, and they have talked about if the pitchers get too much on top in terms of, um, you know, the hitting and the batting averages are, uh, you know, are much lower than they have been. But maybe that's to do a bit more with the shift and what they're finding out in terms of, uh, of you know, the metrics and the data. Uh, but they talked about lowering the the mound, haven't they? And uh, yeah, maybe they need to do something. Uh, I don't know. It's it's still it's been it's been a great season of baseball. So you know it's it's not it's not broke, is it? Dave Junior. Um, if you'll allow me to just read out a couple of segments, it's not any research that I've done, but it, again, it was pretty pertinent to what what Dave's been talking about there. So it's jumping from one era to another, and it, it just does it three quick times. So in terms of pitching and the differences over the last few years, so in 1904, Jack Taylor pitched complete games in 39 consecutive starts. From 2006 to 2007, the Nationals played 205 consecutive games without a complete game. So again, it's just showing that that quick disparity. Uh, In 1908, Ed Rulbach pitched two complete game shutouts in one day. In 2002, Hall of Famer Pedro Martinez pitched two shutouts all season. In 1920, uh, Leon Cador and Joe Olschger both pitched all 26 innings of a one-each tie. But in 2003, Roy Halliday made headlines by lasting all 10 innings of a 1-0 victory because it was the first extra inning complete game shutout in 12 years. So again, those three sets of stats it really demonstrates, yes, you've got 100 years between them. But as you've said, the game evolves. You know, the, the players evolve or are they regressing? <laughs> um, but, you know, these these days, I think you're lucky to get out of five innings. If you're, your pitcher throws five innings, you know, they've probably done really well. They've thrown over 100 pitches uh, and they're going to get uh, maybe heralded by their team. So it's, it's, it really is quite interesting when you read some of the stats the differences over the years. Thanks for that, Dave. You know, that's terrific just to hear that there. It really sets it out. One thing I hadn't realised was I always before, I thought, well, they'll, they'll get tired after a certain number of pitches and clearly there's a bit of that. But actually, I found out recently it's more about you're giving the, the team on offence, the team that's hitting, multiple chances to see your pitches. Yeah. So actually, come if you're coming up for the third time, the third at bat of the evening or the day, for example, you've maybe started to work out when it's going to be the change-up. You're maybe starting to see the fastball a bit better 
Uh, so yeah, I, I know it sounds obvious, but that had not occurred to me. But I guess that's a, a big part of it as well. Yes, uh, definitely. Uh, you're, you're on the right track there. I've heard that said a few times. And no matter how well the you know they talk about a pitch counter, they sort of looking at a hundred pitches, and then they think, well, that's enough. We'll take him out. He's got a you know, he's got a pitch in four or five days' time. Uh, but, yeah, I suppose if you if you look at the sort of... So if they go five innings and they haven't put too many men on base, that's what, I don't know, three, four, 20 guys. So they are coming round to seeing you've pitched for the third time. And, uh, yeah, bats, batsmen are pretty... Smart, aren't they? And uh, they're watching what you're pitching, and they're going to be ready for it. And I think that I think you're right. I think that's why they are taking them out, irrespective of the pitch count. And you know, there was a there was a moment, wasn't there, in uh, the championship game where a guy got taken out five or six, five point something innings, and it was on a no hitter. But there was no way they were going to keep him in anyway. But they could have kept him in for it was only five point one innings, I think. Um, but there was there was no way they were going to keep him in there because and also they're looking at the the bullpen, aren't they? They want him to go five and six innings so that the bullpen doesn't have to do too much work, especially in a championship game. Where you know, uh, yeah, I did. No, no, I did read a lot about the that particular incident where they took him out, and a lot of people were saying, "Well, that's a lot of dreams and hopes of young kids shattered that they'll never get a no hitter in the World Series." Um, and I think there's a reality. It's a professional sport. Mm. There's a logic to taking a guy out after half a dozen innings, 80, 90, whatever number of pitches, it, it's all very well to be romantic and to see one guy do it. But it's a team game where there's a lot on the line. So it absolutely makes sense in the modern era that you take a guy out. Um, you, you can talk all you want about individual glory and what have you. I, I, think, I think the right choice to quote Mr. Spock, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Uh, if you're if you're starting to to see that picture dwindle a little bit, yes, I'm sure that would be a wonderful personal moment for that that picture achieving the feat. But if you've got other guys coming in the back of them in the bullpen that can make sure your team gets the win they need, um, I, I do think that's got to override yeah. Um, yeah. the needs of the few. I think is you know if that's um, in a in a game you know second game of three game series in May at home yeah. uh, you know then you're going to leave him in aren't you? But um, this is that this is the beauty of playoff baseball, isn't it? Where you know everything's on the line, and you know to a certain extent you're not really saving yourself <laughs> for the next day because quite often there is no next day unless you. Unless yeah. you win the game, so it's down to the manager's call, 
isn't it? And, uh, you know, that this is where the managers, you know, really earn their, their money. And you see some, some amazing decisions. And, uh, you know, quite often they do work. Sometimes you think, well, why did he take him out there? But, yeah, I think that's a great point, Rich, uh, about the batsmen are getting used to. They're, they're working out the picture, aren't they? And, uh, you know, you're not, well, you might just see one pitch, you know, you might ground out or, or fly out. But, you know, sometimes the, the batsmen, they do work the picture, don't they? This is the idea. And they're supposed to do that, especially in in the early innings, aren't they, to kind of almost wear out the pitcher, getting to throw more pitches. And the more pitches they see, they think, well, you know, okay, so he's got a fastball, he's got that, he's trying that. He's also, they're working out what the umpire's strike zone is, aren't they, and, uh, for that game. And, um, yeah, it's, a, it's a, such a fascinating game, isn't it? Maybe just finish off my bit for the night, Richard, when a couple of anecdotes to the broken leg situation, which... Um, the uh, so a couple of Americans and, and I don't know if the chap with the broken leg if he was an American certainly playing a, America's game but uh, the 2008 US Open Golf at Torrey Pines was won by somebody playing with a broken leg and that could only be Tiger Woods uh, whose mental strength I think would probably surpass pretty much anything you, you could expect to see in the in the world of golf. Um, uh, he basically had two stress factors and a torn ACL. Uh, and not unlike pitching, your legs are fairly pivotal. There's a good uh, dual meaning there uh, to the, the game of golf. So only Tiger could do that, put himself through the pain. You could actually see him going through pain. Uh, on it. In fact, it was, a f- it, it, it was a Monday finish. So I'm not sure if that was because there was an 18-hole playoff or whether there was a there was a rain delay, but uh, yeah, and and another American, um, not a broken leg, but Tyler Hamilton, the cyclist, in the first week of the 2003 Tour de France, had a double fracture of his collarbone, which, when you think of the position you're assuming on the bike, um, to finish the week, the race two and a half weeks later, and to finish it in fourth place, um, I think you would say chapeau to that. Although there may be those who question whether Tyler's um, uh, blood doping may have helped him at that particular time as well. I'm not sure if blood doping was ever about uh, hiding pain. I think it was more about performance enhancement. So, yeah, it does happen in professional sports. Some of these guys are, are pretty tough. Absolutely. Now, just to close out the evening, I've got worrying news. I don't know if you guys will have heard, but the very future of the Highland bullpen and all bullpens everywhere is under threat because Peter, and I think that's how the American Animal Rights Group uh, acronym is pronounced, I'm pretty sure it's Peter, have called on baseball to change the name of the bullpen, to stop calling a bullpen a bullpen because they reckon the term is outdated, insensitive to arms and uh, to uh, insensitive to animals and disrespectful to the the players contained 
within. So they would like the bullpen's name to be changed to, drum roll please, the Arm Barn. The Arm Barn rather than the bullpen. Now, we're a democratic bunch here, so I think we should, we should take a vote on it after a quick discussion, but I don't think the Highland Arm Barn uh, arm barn has anywhere near the same ring to it. But what do you guys make of that uh, plea from, from the good folk at PETA? And I should point out we're all reasonable people here, and I think we're a group of animal lovers. We're all for we're all for animal rights, etc. But personally, and I'll let you guys come in, I think that's possibly a step or two too far. Dave, um, would you okay with the Highland Barmy Army? The, 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 that's the cricket, the English cricket boys of the Barmy Army, aren't they? But um, yeah, I I've really not heard that um, before, Rich. So it's a bit strange. I don't know where the bullpen originates from. Actually, probably need to kind of look into that. So um, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? It might have some sort of odd connotations that uh, we might well do without. But you know, can you know who's going to be annoyed about that? Could it be that the bullpen could become a word which is just bullpen? You know. We're not objecting the, the, the writing implements, are we? I'm being very frivolous here, but you know, perhaps, perhaps the bullpen could just become a word that, unless it's come from something that really is abhorrent. God knows what yeah. it could be. Well, I think to be honest, Yorkshire Dave, and I am entirely on board with your thinking on it as well. A bullpen is where bulls and, and cows are kept contained. Now that could be generally they're not kept contained for, for happy news ultimately. No, they're but, not going on the whenever you see a group of animals on a on a truck going, they're not going on the holidays, are they? No, they're, they're not getting in line to, to enter the bus to Blackpool, you put it that way. Uh, so yeah, I get the fact that the bullpen is I actually wondered whether obviously because America's history and baseball's history is centred largely in the East Coast. And then you move, think of Chicago and other big baseball yeah. historic centres. Chicago, obviously, the home of the American meatpacking. Yeah, the meatpacking industry. industry. And I, uh, I did wonder whether it might have some reference yeah. here. So, Dave, Dave Jr. is the youngest. You might be the most woke amongst us, Dave Jr. Although I don't know if that's a particularly high bar to reach, to be fair. But uh, where do you stand on this? Apparent bullpen controversy. Don't even start me. Don't even start me. I, you know, I think people are just looking for things to be offended about. And the very worst type of people are the people who are offended on behalf of other people, or in this case, animals that could not give a monkey's, well, if I'm allowed to say that, that at all, <laughs> um, uh, or if the monkey regulation group might get on my back. But that's just, it's just ridiculous. Uh, as soon as a bull writes in to complain, we will change the name of the podcast to whatever they can possibly think of. Uh, but until then, just, is no one getting anything to smile about in life? 
it's <laughs> life's too short. Just oh, I mean, we're not calling it. It's not the slaughterhouse. It's not you know something like that. It's not. This is literally from what I can see. I just on a quick look there. The bullpen was originally the name for the enclosure to rope off fans on the field. Um, it dates back to 1877, uh, signifying the foul area in the back of the first and third bases. So that's that's where the, the term first originated in terms of baseball. Uh, and I think baseball fans from a quick glance online have come out and forced to come out uh, against yeah. Peter <laughs> this week. Well, it's quite interesting because a lot of the old uh, stadiums, w- uh, grounds would have the, the bullpen would be just not on the pitch, you know, off at the back. You know, I, I can I can remember going into uh, Fenway Park. It was a it was a game where eventually we didn't see a, we didn't see a ball bowled or a, as the saying cricket or. A, a pitch made because it, but we saw them warming up, and Pedro Martinez was warming up. I think it might have been before they had the bullpen enclosed in centre field, and he was he was warming up out, and we're watching him sort of throwing these laser like pitches into the into the glove of the catcher, and uh, yeah, I think a lot of the old ballparks would have have them warming up. Really, you know, the just just beyond the the, the outfield until they, you know, say and close them. Let's call it a bullpen. I mean, they're not going to sort of. I mean, they are quite. They are, can be quite cruel, can't they? To uh, pictures, but but you know, they're not going to sort of uh, put them down, are they? If they've had a, if they've had a bad game. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So with all due respect to Peter, and we've been reassured on this point by Hamish, the Highland Bullpen mascot, he's perfectly happy for us to, to abandon the arm barn idea and to stick with the bullpen. So please, listeners, please stick with the bullpen too, because we'll be back over the baseball close season with a number of special episodes. But until next time, this has been the Highland Bullpen. Have a fantastic week. Mm-hmm. Ha <laughs> ha.